Welcome to a special five-part podcast series sponsored by K2 Integrity. In this podcast series, we will consider the intersection of compliance, due diligence, and mergers and acquisitions. We will look at issues relating to core due diligence, concerns in deal-making, potential reputational issues, deals through a global lens, and integration issues. In this series, I'm joined by Hannah Coleman, Managing Director in K2 Integrity's Investigations and Risk Advisory Practices. She specializes in fast-moving, complex, and specialized research assignments in a variety of areas, including investigative due diligence, corporate contests, intellectual property investigations, media transparency assessments, and litigation support. We also have Tom Pinnell, Managing Director in K2 Integrity's Investigations and Risk Advisory Practice. With a focus on financial investigations, Tom leads the multidisciplinary teams working with corporate clients and their legal advisors responding to crisis events, including multi-jurisdictional, white-collar crime, misconduct, financial fraud statements, anti-bribery and corruption incidents, and compliance advisory work. In this episode, I'm joined by Tom Pinnell, and we take a look at current concerns in M&A transactions and deal-making. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for episode two in our five-part exploration of compliance, diligence, and mergers and acquisitions. Today, I have with me Tom Pinnell. Tom is a managing director at K2, and we're going to look at some of today's concerns in deal-making. So, Tom, first of all, welcome. Uh, Great name, and thank you for uh, taking the time to visit with me. Thank you very much, Tom. It is a great name. You're right. (laughs) So, the last year, of course, has been one of the most uh, topsy-turvy in literally every phase of business and uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it really comes as no surprise to anyone that the deal market has impacted as well. Tom, from your perspective, what have you seen as some of the larger hurdles to uh, doing all of the steps we had done in before Q1 of 2020 going, uh, and now hopefully we'll pick up again going forward. Right. So, Initially, the the market took a big dip um, post pandemic, where deals were really driven by uh, economic distress was a big driver, especially in, in consolidation within the ind- energy industry, for example. Uh, but the second half of 2020, things picked right back up where they were in 2019, and it was really a, an, you know, given the pandemic, one would never expect to see that much uh, activity uh, during the second half of the year. But many big companies and, and private equity funds have huge amounts of cash and are looking to deploy it. Uh, people weren't spending quite as much, so they were probably investing it in places and and um, gave the gave the PE funds a, a, an extra boost as well. Um, but it's an extremely competitive market now, so valuations can be you know really high depending on the asset class that you're buying. So. And companies that show that they can pivot during during this time in the competitive in the in the downturn to a remote workforce limited business impact can really demand a premium from from the deal market. Um, and those that were really impacted, they might be at a fire sale. So so you've got some multiple ends of the spectrum. So you see things like technology and digital players with huge premiums and very high multiples. Um, Whereas I touched on some economic distress uh, in retail as well, 
is causing uh, some some really low multiples in that industry um, or restructurings in general. Um, but you know, as a seller, you want as much money as possible for your your um, uh, your company. So I bet you can guess where I'm headed on this. You know, hot market, lots of uh, uncertainty in the environment and topsy turvy things. Um, there's going to be an increased risk of fraud, right? That's sort of our bread and butter in this this community that's listening today, right? Um, so really what what I would be most worried about from a deal perspective is fraudulent financial reporting where you're trying to prop up your results to demonstrate that the pandemic didn't impact you as much and you're still a, a, a valuable target. Um, and given the, the competition for deals, everyone's going to be, or everyone who's looking in that sector is going to be all over it if you are demonstrating strong financial results. So in the past, the, the interesting thing on deal diligence, it largely was conducted remotely through a deal room and through a bunch of conference calls. Um, so that piece of working on deals wasn't really impacted at all. But you did lose out on the opportunity to have in, critical in-person meetings with, with senior management. And then in certain cases, you always want to go on site to make sure the inventory is there or the factory is operating as it's supposed to. Surveillance cameras can do wonders, but boots on the ground are really, uh, really what you want to do. Um, hopefully, things are turning the corner at this point in time, and and uh, business will get back to normal from a going on site perspective. Tom, do you mention a couple of things in there I'd like to follow up on? Uh, first of all, was the wide divergence in what the impact of the pandemic on a variety of industries. Uh, so I'm in the compliance space and what we saw in terms of valuations uh, went through the roof in many uh, cases. I'm also in Houston. So I know what happened in energy. It went the opposite in many cases, uh, tech, uh, medical healthcare uh, also went in, in largely a positive direction coupled with probably more free cash than I've ever seen in my life. As you said, there's, Lots of cash to be deployed from every every sector, and so now we're at a point where uh, there's a lot of pent up demand, and it may be that there's even an explosion of deals as we move into the summer and things loosen up a little bit. But you mentioned two of the difficulties, uh, which were the well, maybe one wrapped around the on site or in person visits, uh, recognizing one you never have enough time to do the diligence you want, because there's always a time constraint. Um, as we learned in a, in a prior episode, how do you begin or how do you help a client get comfortable around what you might see in the financial statements when you can't perform those sort of in-person uh, critical steps that you talked about uh, going forward? Well, data analysis is always critical and huge amounts of information is available electronically. And typically you're swimming in data in a data room. So it's making sure you've got the right information that you're going to analyze. So digging through the financial statements, the trial balances, sales registers, customer master files, 
you can do a huge amount of, of uh, analysis with with that information, thankfully. And and the deal environment has been effective remotely for a long time, as I said a minute ago. Um, but when you need to go on the ground, it, it is a challenge, you're right. So as you analyze your information and you start deciding what you're going to test and what you're going to dig into, um, you've got to select samples and push management to get you the information and look at the books and records um, from a support for the transaction. Don't just take the data that you have, the, the electronic data, but actually push for hard copies or ultimately they might come scanned in, but you know what I mean. You've got to look at the, the underlying transaction detail when you have things that you're really focused on digging into. Tom, if a, a company uh, comes to you and, and, and we're recording this in early Q2 of, of 2021, um, they may have an additional set of risks that are beyond financial fraud. They may be looking at third parties who might have cybersecurity issues. They may have anti-corruption issues. We've got a new anti-money laundering law uh, that came into effect uh, January 1, 2020, uh, about corporate registries. Um, do you help them understand that there may be a whole set of risks out there that they're not considering? And how do you help them think through perhaps prior prioritizing your work with them to assess the risks? So from that perspective, you, you really want to take a step back and look at your deal, what you're buying or what your target is. Um, look at their track record use the the diligence that Hannah just walked us through in our previous session yesterday to really understand any sort of red flags or any sort of operational uh, questions that you might have. So you know the full scope of the operation. Um, look at their customers. What do they do or what do they sell? Where do they sell it? How do they sell it? Are they using distributors and third parties? Um, do they sell to governments? Things like that. Um, so from a customer base, you're looking at that. From an operational perspective, you're looking at the key suppliers, the supply chain itself, and, and all the different factors within that to, to really inform what types of diligence you're going to do. Um, so I think in our, one of our later episodes, we're going to go into more detail on on the different types of diligence um, that you touched on. So I won't, won't spoil it here. We'll tease it, not spoil it. Um, so with uh, really where we are, and, and I just see, uh, I'm not sure you, you're, you're seeing the explosion starting, but I think the door is, is being pushed open by uh, so much cash and so much money and, and people wanting to put these assets in, into the public sphere. Are there any examples you could share with us um, of uh, deals either you're looking at in terms of trends, um, where companies may be going, valuations literally through the roof in some uh, industries or some corporate sectors, and uh, where where are we right now? So since we're talking M&A and deals, we can't not have a conversation and not bring up SPAC deals, right? Everybody's talking about that. You can't turn the television on without hearing about 
a SPAC or a blank check company. A SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. SPAC deals are hot. They, they, there's no question about it. You see everyone uh, getting on the, the bandwagon of SPACs. You see a lot of companies that had historically been pursuing IPOs now going public through a SPAC deal. Um, so as investors, um, you might see this as something really hot, so you want to get in on it. You see your favorite celebrity is is being a part of it, so you want to be a, a partner with your celebrity. Um, the issue is the promoters of SPAC deals don't necessarily have the same interests as uh, Main Street investors like you and me. So um, recently, the SEC has been quite vocal and active about um, what to do uh, and what to think about. So they're talking to both the investor community and to the SPAC community. So from an investor community perspective, they put out some information saying you really need to, because a celebrity endorses something, doesn't mean you should invest in it. You really need to understand what the investment is. And they put out a, a release not that long ago, and there's links as to how you can get information on where your interests might differ from the SPAC team's interest. Um, so there's, it's a really good and informative thing from a, an individual investor perspective to look at that. But from a sort of the SPAC deal perspective, you've got information, two really important things that the SEC has said recently, most recently is on accounting for warrants. Historically, most SPAC deals have viewed warrants as an equity instrument. Uh, and the SEC has come out and said they might actually be a, a liability. And so from a fair value accounting perspective, it could have some impact on the, the overall view of the balance sheet and, and how you account for gains and losses of that liability when you fair value account for it. So it's a complicated um, bleeding edge area right now that that's getting a lot of attention from um, the investor community and from those doing SPAC deals right now. Um, also, the SEC has said in the past month that one of the, the things that promoters of SPACs have, have, have highlighted is that they're able to say more about the forward-looking prospects of the target entities um, that historically an IPO, a traditional IPO, hasn't been able to say as much out of uh, securities law concerns. Um, SPACs have gone under the assumption that um, they're, they've got safe harbor under Private Securities Litigation Reform Act, where they can give information um, and they won't be as subject to, to litigation in the same manner that an IPO might. Uh, the SEC has come out and said, while that may be have some credibility, the SEC, it doesn't matter to the SEC. They're still focused on material misstatements um, and the accuracy of what you're actually saying. So if you're giving a material misstatement or, or omitting important facts in your disclosures, the SEC views it in their jurisdiction to potentially go after these. So it's a it's certainly a hot record or a hot deal, um, um, but it uh, it's getting a lot of attention both from the financial markets and the regulators. 
Tom, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on any of the topics you touched upon in this uh, episode. Where could they go? They should check us out at k2integrity.com or LinkedIn and Twitter. Tom, uh, I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of this special five-part podcast series sponsored by K2 Integrity. For more information, check out K2 Integrity's website at www.k2integrity.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode in this special five-part series. This podcast series is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.